It's good to have so many out. We want to welcome you to our youth service tonight. We hope that tonight that as we've come together, that we have come together to worship our, the one and true God. It's also good to have um, Pastor and Sister Cole with us tonight. We want to welcome you. Um, also, if there's any other first-time visitors, if you're a first-time visitor, could you raise your hand so we could welcome you? Doesn't look like any more. Well, let's give everyone a hand for being here then. Psalms 150 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with string and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And that's why I hope we are all here tonight to praise our great and glorious God. Let us um, stand for a word of prayer. Father, again, we just count a privilege to be into your presence. Father, we recognize that this building doesn't mean that when you're present, but everywhere we are, you are there. And Father, I pray tonight as we have come to worship, I pray, Father, tonight that we won't give you lip service. But, Father, we would worship you from our hearts, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we would just come tonight and, Father, just remove anything that's keeping us from worshiping you. Father, we would just lay it to your feet. And, Father, tonight, even as our youth come and lead us in worship, I pray, Father, we won't look at them as young people, but we'd look at them as examples for us, Father, to live up to. Father, as they continue, and, Father, I pray that us as adults, Father, we would encourage them. Because, Father, we recognize that they aren't just the future, but they are the present. And, Father, we would just encourage them to do great things for you. And, Father, we pray, again, just for all the aspects of the service, the drama, the living stone, the sunbeams, and myself, Father, we pray that we won't see who's performing, but we would see you. And, Father, recognize tonight that apart from you, Father, there's no reason to be here. And, Father, I pray tonight as we come together that we would worship you in spirit, and in truth. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen, amen.
Again, I want to take this time to welcome you uh, to our service. Um, this will be a time where we can take up our offering and you can give back to whatever what's already is the Lord's. Let's pray. Father, we again count the privilege to be in your presence. Father, we pray even now as we continue in our worship to give back to you what is already yours, Father. Everything that we have is a gift from you. And Father, I pray that you would just... Be with this offering. I pray that we'd be cheerful givers, and we just pray that you would just get all the honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I'm going to call on Ethan at this time. Crowded in worship today As she slips in Trying to fade into the faces The girl's teasing laughter is carrying Farther than they know 
farther than they know. But if we are the body, why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his words teaching? And if we are the body,
Jesus receives all the honor, the honor of one who is mighty and great. He looked death in the face and didn't flinch. He embraced the company of the lowest. He took on his shoulders the sins of many. He died without a thought for his own welfare. He was buried like a criminal, even though he'd never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. It was our pains he carried, our imperfections, all the things wrong with us. We did our own thing, went our own way. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. Yet God laid on him everything we've done wrong. There he was, held on the cross with nails and wrists and feet. Before he breathed his last, committed his spirit into the hands of his father, he cried out, my God, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Pierced, beaten, bruised, insulted, abused, mocked, ripped, torn, rejected, betrayed by his closest friends in exchange for our peace. In place of our sin, in exchange for our healing, accused of living a lie when he was the truth. And he offered no words in his own defense. Did anyone really know what was happening? From prison and trial, they led him away to his death. But who among the people realized that he was dying for their sins? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? But this is what God had in mind all along. It was God's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. The plan was that Jesus give himself as an offering for sin. God's plan deeply prospered through his son. And when Jesus saw all that would be accomplished by his anguish, he was pleased. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. And God so loved every face, every name, every heart. God so loved every life that he gave Jesus his one and only son, to die a death we deserve to die, our mortal life in exchange for his eternal one. Again, Jesus paid the price for our sins. Let us um, pause for a word of prayer as we look into God's word. Father, again, we just thank you. Thank you for paying the price for our sins. Father, we know that your death was sufficient. And Father, we pray, Father, tonight as we look into your word, I pray, Father, that you would just help me, Father, to say what you want me to say, Father. And not my words, but your words, Father. I pray tonight that it would be nothing of me but it be all you. Father, that you would just hide me and so that your name would be exalted. And Father, I pray tonight as we look into your word, I pray that our hearts would be open, that we'd be challenged, that we would recognize that we need to have a passion for you. We just pray this in your name. Amen. As many may remember, um, in August last year, we watched the Olympics. And we also have seen passion that some of these athletes have in their respective events. Some show their passion by crying. Some show their passion by cheering. Some show their passion by going too far and getting injured. Those athletes have been pursuing their goals for years upon years. Some for not even 10 seconds in their event. Probably one of the most famous scenes from the Olympic Games in recent history came in 1996 when Carrie Strug, the American gymnast who had already hurt her ankle, attempted to her final jump on the vault 
and landed it while hopping on one foot. Her coach had to lift her off the mat because she could not walk on her own. Imagine if our passion were like these Olympic athletes, willing to do whatever it takes to win a medal. You see, we have a bigger purpose in life than the Olympics. Our purpose is to point people to Christ and have a passion for Him that goes beyond explanation. We want to have a passion that exceeds everything else in our life. You see, a passion for Christ should exceed everything else in life, as we are going to look at tonight. But first of all, we must define what is passion. Passion is any powerful or compelling emotion or feeling as love or hate. Or it is what I value in life. So what are you passionate about? Are you passionate about material possessions? Do things will perish? You cannot take them when you die? Is it relationships? They will fail you at times? Or is it fame and achievement? That will not truly satisfy. Whether we want to admit it or not, we are all passionate about something. Whether it be a sport that we like, a team that we like, playing an instrument, or whatever it might be, we are all passionate about something. We can always think of another word as we think about passion, and it's worship. We all truly worship something. Some worship God. Some of us even worship church. Some of us worship the ministries that we are involved in. But you see, Christ wants us to worship Him and not the things that we are involved in. So if you have your Bibles tonight, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3, 1 to 11. And we're going to look at Paul's passion in life. And all of us who know Paul, Paul was a very passionate person. We know a man that was once persecuted Christians, even killed them. But we know in that road, Damascus, how the Lord changed his life. And it was only through the Lord that changed his life. And we see here in Philippians chapter 3, as he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. And it's safe for you. Verse 2, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Verse 11, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. We see again as we think of this verse, Paul is starting off saying, I'm going to remind you of something. And we all know that we need reminders. We know that we all are forgetful people. And that's why Paul makes it very clear in a lot of his letters, I'm going to remind you of these things. Because he recognized that the people will forget. Because none of us are perfect. 
We see in verse 2, it says again, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul warns them to look out for those that want to put them down. Dogs were the term that the Jews gave to the Gentiles. Because in those days, dogs would be considered filthy animals and would roam the streets. But here, Paul is referring to the Judaizers. Because of their sinful, vicious, and uncontrolled character. The Judaizers were a group of people that prided themselves in their own righteous and tried to please God by what they did instead of what he was doing in them. You see, we have a lot of people like that today which basically want to point everything to themselves. That they want to see people do the things the way they want to see it done. Not maybe what God is telling them to do. You see, the Judaizers wanted to add works to salvation instead of salvation being in faith alone, in Christ alone. You see, they wanted to say, you have to work. But we all know as we look at Scripture that works are a result of our salvation. We should want to please God. We should want to do things that are honoring to Him. But we don't have to work for our salvation. It is something that we get to do as we pursue Christ. In verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Paul recognized and tells the Philippian church that true worship only comes by the Spirit of God and in glory in Christ. Worship is more than just an outward duties, but worship must come from within. You see, we can come to church and we can look like we're worshiping, but you see, God sees right through that. God sees our heart. That's for the type of worship that God wants us to have. God wants us to generally worship Him from our hearts. Not our religious acts. Not by just coming to church. Not by doing the things that we think that God wants us to do. But that we generally worship Him. You see, the Jews have put so much emphasis on outward circumcision that here Paul is reminding them that God must circumcise their hearts so that they can generally worship Him. You see, God must change them. Not the things that they do, but it is God that does the changing. Not us. He reminds them that there should be no confidence in the things of the flesh, but there should be confidence in Christ. We must recognize that nothing good can come from the flesh, but true worship comes from God from within. Paul makes it clear that if there is one that should have confidence in the flesh, it is him because of his accomplishments. You see, so many times we think that because we come to church, because we're involved in this ministry, because we do all these things, that that's what pleases God. Yes, they are all good things. But you see, God wants more than that. God wants us to truly, genuinely worship Him from within. And worship is not what we just do here on a Sunday morning or whenever the church is open. Worship is a lifestyle that me and you should have every day of our lives. But yet, we leave it here. In verse 4 to 6, we see again, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law of blameless. You see here, Paul continued to tell the Judaizers, If there is one that should have confidence in the flesh, it is I. I have done all these things that you consider to be great. You see, me and you could do all the things, and we could fool everyone in this church by the things that we do. But we cannot fool God. God sees right through it. You see, I remember growing up right in this church. I remember coming to church, going through the motions, doing all the things that I thought was what I was supposed to do. 
And I'm going to tell you and I'm going to confess that I had a lot of people fooled. Because I used to come to church, and I know now it's, you know, I remember somebody used to joke with me and say, you could be a pastor. Well, I guess I'm here now. But at that time, I wasn't living for God. I used to fool a lot of people. I used to come to church, do the, go through the motions, and do everything that I thought everyone else wanted me to do. I would go to Sunday school, raise my hand, and give the answer what the teacher wanted. Because I knew a lot about God's Word, and we're going to look at this further as what Paul is talking about, about truly knowing God. But you see, we can fool again each other. But God knows the truth. And you know, I, I always look back to the verse in Matthew when, you know, Jesus says that people, you will do all these things in my name. You know, you would heal, you do all these things, but depart from me. I never knew you. And it's so sad because I think that that is the church today. Because there's so many people that do a lot of things that they think that they're supposed to do. But yet their hearts are far from God because they're just going through the motions to please people. We see a, a, man, a Paul's life, a man that was a passionate about everything he did. We see a man that had prominence and who had position, who basically had everything in the world's eyes. You see, Paul lived two different lives. That doesn't mean that he wasn't passionate about one thing or the other. But he was passionate about everything he did. What it means is that his passion changed. He became passionate about his relationship with God. Paul was passionate about his persecution of Christians and he was willing to do whatever it took because he thought that it was the right thing to do. You see, Paul was passionate, but his passion changed when he generally had a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, tonight, me and you have a passion. And the question is, where is your passion? Is your passion with God, or is it with the things of this world? Again, verse 7, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul recognized that all that he thought was important or what would have been considered his religious duties, he counted them as loss. Paul wanted to make it clear that whatever gain he thought he may have had counted, it is loss because he recognized that, you know what? This is not what it's about. It is about me pleasing Christ. As he goes on in verse 8, and this is what I want to focus on tonight as we think of this verse and as I want us to really get challenged as we think of this. He said in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through the faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We see here Paul again reiterates that he counts everything as lost, but he continues here by saying, because it's the passing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. This is the reason he counts as lost. To know Jesus. When we truly experience of knowing Jesus, that's when life change will happen. That's when a passion change will happen. You see, we can know a lot about Christ. We can know a lot about verses. We can know all the things that we think we are supposed to know. But you know what this know is talking about? To genuinely know Him. Patrick talked about this morning a little bit about knowing Christ. And the question for me and you tonight is this. Do you know Him? Do you truly know Him? Not know about Him. Not know all the books of the Bible. Not know a couple of verses. 
But do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know him as your Savior? Do you know him as your Lord? Or is he just something that you come to worship? Or is he just an object that you come to worship on a Sunday morning? Or is he truly your Lord and Savior that you worship him at home, everywhere you go, on your workplace? You see, for me and you, that's what we're supposed to be doing. For me and you, we are supposed to be passionate about God, and people are supposed to see that on our work job, on our jobs, or whoever we come in contact with. But yet, so many times, we allow the flesh to take control. We allow the things that we are going through to, to take control of our lives instead of really focusing on Christ. You see, again, I started, we are very passionate about a lot of things. We are passionate about our sports teams. We are passionate about um, certain players. We are passionate about reading. We are passionate about playing instruments. We are passionate about a lot of things. And that's what we spend the most time with. But the question for me is, are we truly passionate about God? If I had to ask you tonight, how much time have you truly spent with God? It probably would be scary. And let me just say, I'm not talking down to you, I'm talking to myself as well. Because I think, as we know in any relationship, as he talks about here, knowing Christ... In order to get to know someone, you've got to spend time with them. You've got to know more about them. You got, and for me and you, we spend time with God in prayer, in His Word. It's not just something that we brush off to come to church on a Sunday morning. In today's generation, we have iPads. We have all these other things. You know, our kids have iPods where basically the Bible is on there all the time. So it's no excuse. But you see, me and you, we make excuse. Because we say we don't have time for it. But you know what? We have time for anything else in this world we want to have time for. We make time. You see, he recognized that on his own, he could do nothing favorable in the eyes of God. But yet, we fall into this trap so many times that we think we can earn God's favor. If we could do this in church or join this ministry, but let us remember, let us not say, I got to do this. But let us say, we get to do this. We get to do life with Christ. We get to be in a relationship with Him. This is a gift. It's a gift to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But yet, me and you, we take it for granted every day. We take it for granted because we live in a country that we can freely worship God. We don't have to worry about anyone coming in here tonight and persecuting us. But there are many places around the world that have to worry about it. There are many places around the world that they can't do what we do. But yet, we don't take advantage of the opportunities that we have. You see, too many times we are just satisfied in knowing about Jesus. We are satisfied about just coming to church. And we think we've done our godly duty every week by coming here. But you see, God wants so much more than that. You know, I heard one person one time say this. And I think that this, is, this challenged me in my life. It says this. Me and you are an example. We are either an example pushing people away from Christ or pulling them to Christ. And the question for me and you tonight is this. What example are you? Are you an example that's bringing people to Christ because people see how passionate you are about Christ? You see, we're not supposed to fit into this world. We're not supposed to go about life and just fit in. But we are to be different. And people are supposed to question, well, what's wrong with you? And you can say, you know what? What's wrong with me is I have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And point them to Him. 
he goes on in verses 10 and 11 in closing. It says this, The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You see, Paul was not satisfied at where he was in his relationship with Christ. But he truly wanted to experience power of not only the resurrection of Christ, but even in the suffering of the cross of Christ. That even meant death on a cross. You see, we see a picture here of justification, then sanctification, then the glorification. This is what we have to look forward to as believers. We can look forward as we right now should be sanctifying ourselves to become more like Christ. For a better day, as um, Brother Patrick talked about this morning, that we as believers have a day that we can look forward to. The suffering on this earth that we may feel is overwhelming, and it is. But we have something to look forward to as we could say that we will spend life with God forever and truly worship Him. Because right now, we aren't truly worshiping Him because we have sin in our lives. But when we get there with Christ, we will have no sin. So we can truly, genuinely worship Him. So the question for me and you tonight is this. What are you passionate about? What, what are you passionate about? Do you care about the name of God? Because let me tell you something. As a Christian, people are watching you every day of your lives. Students, don't think that you're, you know, any different. In school, it's the same thing. But you call yourself a believer, they're watching you. They're looking for you to fall. And the question for me and you is that we need to continue to pursue God. No matter what. You're going to fall. None of us are perfect. And you can tell them that. You know, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But we must continue that we know that we have a Savior that is full of grace and mercy. That forgives us. Do you care about making God famous? It's the next question. Do you really care about making God famous? You see, we go around and we wear our favorite teams. We wear our Kobe jerseys. We wear our LeBron jerseys. We want to try and make them famous. But do you want to make God famous? Because that's who we should want to make famous. Again, in closing, I want us to think of one of the most famous missionaries of this era, Jim Elliott. He was passionate about his relationship with Christ, and he said this, Oh, the fullness, the pleasure, sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. You see, he understood that there was nothing more exciting than knowing Christ here on earth. Here is a man that died. For his passion. A man that died because he loved Christ. He wanted to carry the gospel to the Yorka Indians. And as we know, the, the, later in the story, his wives, they went down, and, and these missionaries' wives went down, and they continue because they were passionate about getting the gospel out. They didn't hate these men, but they loved on them. And we saw many of these Yorka Indians come to know Christ. So, what are you passionate about? Do you know him? Or do you just know a lot about him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Father, we praise you. Father, we just count a privilege again that we can look into your word. And I pray, Father, tonight, that if there's one here that doesn't know you as Savior, that they would come to know you, Father. They would talk to one of the elders. So, Father, they would just come and talk to me. Father, we just pray again that, Father, these won't just be words that we think of now, but that we would all truly in this room want to know you. And just know, not know about you. Father, I pray that you would just take us home safely tonight.
And Father, we would just continue this week to continue to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen.